My, my teammate and friend, Ani Johnson, from Distance Project and I turned the corner onto First Ave and the entire space erupted however many people deep. And I kind of looked at her and I was like, this is for us. Like, this is for us. And people are looking at you in the eye and cheering for you. And like your city after, you know, you feel like a million bucks after so many months of work. I mean, that's incredible. Like, um, I feel really grateful to have that opportunity. I'll never forget it. And it makes it more meaningful to have shared it with someone that I'm close with. That is Lauren Perkins. I am Chris Chavez, and on behalf of my co-host, Leanne Sherrick, welcome to episode 33 of the Runners of NYC podcast on the City of Smag Podcast Network. The following episode was recorded in front of a live audience at the New York Roadrunners Run Center. Support for the show also comes from Fix NYC over on 206 West 23rd Street. Stay tuned because during the show, I'll tell you a little bit more about what they've got to offer. We're super thankful that the New York Roadrunners welcomed us back into their space to host this awesome conversation with three of the city's finest runners. So for those of you who might not be as familiar with the U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials, it's the race where the top three finishers will go on to represent the United States at the Summer Olympics in Tokyo. So the race is February 29th in Atlanta. In order to compete at the trials, men have to run a marathon in two hours and 19 minutes or faster. Women need to run a marathon in two hours, 45 minutes or under. More than 200 men and 500 women have hit the mark. New York City is expected to field one of the strongest contingents of runners, especially on the women's side. We've interviewed some of those women in the past, including my co-host, Leanne. Uh, We've interviewed Caitlin Phillips, Veronica Jackson, Mia Baim, and most recently, the episode right before this is Sarah Cummings. But on today's show, we have three more qualifiers. First off, is Brendan Martin. He is a Smithtown, New York native who ran at Columbia University and helped the team win an Ivy League uh, conference title in cross country back in 2009. After graduating, he took to the roads as a member of the Hanson's Brooks team, which is based out in Michigan. It's a professional training group. And then he debuted uh, for the marathon with a 13th place finish at the 2012 Boston Marathon. He ran two hours and 18 minutes and 28 seconds at the 2013 Fukuoka Marathon, and then qualified for the U.S. uh, Marathon Trials in 2016 with a personal best of 216.28 at the California International Marathon. That's CIM, the race that lots and lots of people talk about around December. So he lowered that to his current personal best of 215.30 at the Grandma's Marathon in June 2015. And then he qualified for this year's Olympic trials with a 216.26 at the 2018 Berlin Marathon. When he's not running, you could catch him at Finish Line Physical Therapy, where he's a physical therapist there. Our second guest is Distance Project's Lauren Perkins. Lauren is the chief operating officer at Great Oaks uh, Foundation. She ran 242.55 at the 2018 Chicago Marathon. I remember that day. It was pretty rainy. I was cheering on former co-host Jean Mack. Uh, Lauren finished as the 18th American woman across the finish line that day. And then in 2019, she finished second in her first trail marathon at the 2019 North Face Endurance Challenge in Massachusetts. And then ran a 243.40 at the 2019 New York City Marathon. She was previously nominated for the New York Roadrunners Runner of the Year 
in the 30 to 34 category. Last but not least, and one of the most recent qualifiers from New York City, it's Central Park Track Club's Jenny Donnelly. Jenny is a senior manager in marketing insights at Glossier. Uh, She ran cross country and track at Yale and made her marathon debut in 2013 with a 312. Her qualifier for the trials came at last month's California International Marathon, where she ran 244.36, which was a 15-minute personal best. That's a lot. Uh, she spoke with Outside Magazine about her close call and then recently appeared on the Alley on the Run show. We're big fans of that show, uh, alongside her mother. So there's plenty of laughs and inspiration to take away from this conversation. You guys have heard enough from me at this point. You're just like, Chris, let's get to the episode. So without further ado, here are three of New York's U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials qualifiers. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks for coming. Uh, this is the Runners of New York City podcast. Um, thanks to New York Roadrunners for having us here. Um, we This is our first live show of 2020, so we're super excited. Uh, this looks like an awesome turnout. And uh, we just released our first episode of the year just last week with Sarah Cummings, who runs for NIAC. Brennan, I believe, coaches her. Um, and she is an Olympic trials qualifier. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be trying to release a couple more of those stories. But today uh, is super special because we get to share three local Olympic trial stories uh, with you guys. Yeah, so the three super fast athletes have all qualified for the marathon trials that are going to be on February 29th in Atlanta. So Brendan Martin runs for NIAC. Jenny Donnelly runs for Central Park Track Club, and Lauren Perkins runs for Distance Project. So with a little over six weeks to go, how are you guys feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. This is Lauren. Uh, <laughs> I ran the New York City Marathon just a couple weeks ago, and so um, it feels like a couple weeks ago. So I'm still sort of recovering, and um, but I'm really excited about the race, and I'm starting to feel the energy. So yeah, starting to really get into the workouts and enjoying it. Uh, this is Jenny. Um, feeling much better than I expected. I think CIM was five weeks ago now. Um, so it took a little time after that, a little vacation. Um, and since I've been back in New York, I've had amazing weather, all things being considered. So because of that, I think I'm feeling excited and um, not hating the winter training too much yet. I'm Brendan. Uh, I've had an injury for the past couple weeks, but I'm not, I'm not afraid. That's okay. Um, that happens to runners. You know, uh, I bounced back off of New York City a little bit, actually, for certain, too aggressively off of the New York City Marathon and find myself in a little bit of a down period right this second. But um, I'm feeling pretty good, making good progress on getting back to running and optimistic I'll be ready to go, actually, despite uh, being discouraged on Boxing Day. Boxing Day, I got hurt. It's a bad day. <laughs> day after Christmas. And uh, yeah, you know, it's just uh, one of those things where, you know, I'm a little bit of an aggressive runner. I'm a physical therapist at Finish Line down the street on 7th Avenue, and I uh, spend all day on my feet. And so I think sometimes it just catches up with you. And I've been cross training pretty hard. I 
feel like I haven't, you know, eaten too many treats, all things considered. <laughs> so despite not running much the past couple weeks, I feel like I'm still actually doing okay because I ran three marathons in the past year and a half. So any uh, grizzled marathon coach will tell you it's more about your last 18 months than about your last eight weeks before a marathon. And I'm taking that to heart because I have three. And those <laughs> were all good. And this one's not as good, but I think it's going to be all right. Thanks. So, so Brennan, I mean, for – all the success that you've had, because, I mean, you've run in college, and we'll, we'll get to a little bit of the history. You also have, like, a pretty extensive, I guess, injury history as well. So how has, like, I guess, your injury, uh, how have the injuries that you've suffered in the past, like, I guess, helped you as a physical therapist? Because I've talked to a couple of people who have gone to see you, and they're like, you know, he really gets it. And have injuries played a role into your full-time job? A thousand percent, yeah. I, uh... That's pretty much the explanation I give for why I do what I do, because it helps with the empathy, right? I, I haven't been hurt much over the past six years, to be honest, but um, from 2009 through 2014, I was trying hard to be the best runner in, in the world, actually, and that, <laughs> that leads you to be injured pretty often. And so I think just knowing what that's like is, you know, that just creates empathy, and empathy for what the people who come to see me you know, I think that I think that goes a long way. I'm, I'm certain it goes a long way. You know, and also if you've been hurt enough times, you've experienced the rehab process from every injury. And so, I went into PT school just being like, yeah, I know what tip posterior tendonitis is. <laughs> I've had it twice already. So that also helps because I have like a playbook already of what I felt worked and didn't work and such. Did that answer your question? Yeah, no, it totally yeah. did. Now I'm just kind of wondering, is it's like w when you say you're training to be the best runner in the world, what, is that, what does that entail? You know, when I was 19, <laughs> I thought that if I, you know, did enough crunches and ate only spinach and ran 110 miles a week as a 19-year-old, I would be, I would run 12.56 in the 5K because I still had that, like, you know, Santa Claus thing going on about running. <laughs> the harder I work, the better I am. Like, the thing that brings people into running to begin with, right? And if you rapidly progress because of that, you keep doing it, and then eventually you hit a brick wall called uh, genetics, I guess. And, you know, you finally start to reach, like, where that skyrocketing rate of improvement starts to taper off a little bit. And so, to me, I just thought, like, hey, I ran 90 miles a week my sophomore year of college, and I got and probably twice as good as I was last year. How, let's see how 110 miles works. And obviously, when you ran 40 miles a week in high school, two years later, you're running 110 miles a week, you're going to be injured frequently, right? And so, stuff like that. And at Columbia, we walked all our classes and things like that. So there's like a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. But basically, exactly that. Like I still had the young runner uh, gusto. I mean, I still honestly have that. <laughs> so that's why I'm, that's why I'm telling you what I'm telling you now. So it seems like all three of you ran in high school and or college. When did you guys start to get this competitive marathon bug? So I ran my first marathon the summer after I graduated. Um, I never loved the speed stuff. I actually remember my coach telling me in college, let's just get you through um, these four years because I think you'll like the marathon better. So I ran my first one that summer in Montreal. Um, I loved it. I had a great experience. And then I spent the next five years running absolutely horrible marathons. Um, and as anyone who's run one know, probably the worst marathon you run, the quicker you sign up for your next one. Um, so that's, that's kind of what happened to me. 
I think that I, I've had a lot of passion and interest in running from um, some very early memories. Like growing up in Massachusetts, watching the Boston Marathon on the sidelines for years and years as a, a young person um, in elementary school and middle school, sort of catching the energy and um, gaining some excitement from that, and then ultimately cashing that in in 2010. Uh, once I moved to New York, it's pretty infectious when you start to plug into the running community and uh, learn more about just like how deep the interest and the teams are and, um, and all the opportunities that the Roadrunners put on and whatnot. So it really sort of catalyzed when I moved to New York, but it started at a really young age, like growing up watching Boston. I tried to play contact sports as a very small boy, and it was okay, but not as great as I was hoping it would be. And so I did cross country starting in ninth grade, and I found I was good at it for a ninth grader boy. And uh, I had fun with that. That was very rewarding. I kept it going, was lucky enough to get to run at a great school, had some very like motivated college teammates, which I think was actually in retrospect, more critical than I gave it credit for at the time, but I had some very motivated, like, best friends uh, as, like, a college team, and, like, we all just wanted to be the best runner in the world, see, last question, and, uh, you know, that kind of made me want to run after college, come heck or high water, and I, th I knew as soon as I graduated college, I wanted to run marathons, and so I think I did Boston uh, 2012, like, almost a year after I graduated. The really hot one? The really hot one. I had a singlet uh, tan lines for that whole summer. I'm not even kidding. Like, I had, like, a jersey burned onto my body for that whole summer, no matter what. I put suntan lotion on my arms and not on my chest. You know, I still had a jersey burned onto my body. But, yes, I did do that one. Wait, and from I think from my understanding and just remembering the results for that race, I mean, you did fairly well in that one, right? Yeah, I got 13th, and that was my first marathon. So I was, like, <laughs> super stoked about that. And that was where I, like, was, like, I should keep doing this. <laughs> yeah, Lauren, you've you've experienced, I guess, the New York City Marathon, and just, you, have you been an Achilles guide for? for I've been an Achilles guide, yeah. And you've raced it. I mean, I so being able to experience that particular race, like, and just the marathon in particular, just um, at, in those different ways, like, how does what's been the most rewarding feeling coming out of that? I, I, the experience of being an Achilles guide, I think that was about two years ago um, for the New York City Marathon, was something that like will resonate and remain with me forever. I've run, I think, about 15 marathons like inc inclusive of that time that I guided. And without a doubt, it's at the top. Um, it was extremely rewarding to build relationships, not only with the people that I was guiding with in the months and weeks leading up to the race, but also with the, the gentleman that I was guiding, um, who was legally blind and ended up running just a terrific PR. Um, and it was, a, it was a group effort, and like I am still in touch with those folks. Uh, it was a really different perspective for me because it was a different start time and scenario. Um, the whole morning you know, versus the race I just ran in New York um, played out very differently, but it was like the heart and soul of everything that's great about the city and the event that the Roadrunners put on. Um, so I feel actually very fortunate to have sort of these different vantage points and like without a doubt like it will even you know after the trials it'll remain like right at the top of like one of the greatest like running experiences I've ever had and probably you know up there with my life. And you recently ran New York City this past November and I remember we spoke before the race and you said I really just want to enjoy the experience. I want to have a good time. You know I live here. This is my race. And so 
And we had other guests on the podcast who kind of had that same mentality of like, I'm kind of going to let go of expectations. How did this most recent New York City compare to all of your other marathons? Yeah, I mean, I it, mission accomplished, all of what you just described. I, I think that it um, it's hard for me to, it, it sounds maybe perhaps a little cliche, but it's really hard for me to put into words because it did feel like an incredible celebration of like several decades of putting in the time and effort in the space that I'm comfortable with, familiar with, and I had the tremendous opportunity to run in the elite field with two of my teammates. Um, and so that in and of itself was just like something that, you know, money can't buy. And I'm just really grateful for the chance. And so like, you know, I arrived in that race at that race feeling like a million bucks training had gone brilliantly. It was the best buildup I've ever had. But like, as soon as the gun went off, like time went out the window and like, I spent some percentage of energy, like in my smile muscles and the, the, my wings waving and, you know, that was the choice that I made, and it was, like, something I'll never forget. I think also just as a runner watching that race, and I think I speak for a lot of um, New York City runners out there, watching the three of you in that field was one of the most inspiring things I've ever seen. Um, and I, I apologize for flooding all three of your Instagrams for, like, <laughs> three weeks straight responding to every single photo, but it was so inspiring and so incredible to see all of that and um, just, like, really amazing to be able to watch. It's like a moment that you just, you can't, like, you can't will that to happen. It was a spontaneous thing, and we were aligned. And, like, I'll never forget, like, the feeling of coming. I mean, we were at the back of the pack, let's be honest, right in the lead field. It's what, that's how it played out. That's great. My, my teammate and friend, Ani Johnson, from Distance Project, and I turned the corner onto First Ave, and the entire space erupted however many people deep and I kind of looked at her and I was like this is for us like this is for us and people are looking at you in the eye and cheering for you and like your city after you know you feel like a million bucks after so many months of work I mean that's incredible like um, I feel really grateful to have that opportunity I'll never forget it and it makes it more meaningful to have shared it with someone that I'm close with. So the three of you have, I mean, have run the New York City Marathon and, and have experienced that feeling of this being like a like a home course for you guys where you know the fans and spectators like totally embrace you. But I guess let's take a step back. When did New York City really start to feel like home for you? We'll start with Brendan, I guess. Like New York City, the city or the yeah, marathon? The city. Well, I grew up on Long Island, so it's yeah. always felt like somewhat like, you know, part of where I live. But right. uh, then I went to school at Columbia and then it really felt like it. And then I started working at finish line PT in the city and then it really felt like it, you know what I mean? Because now it's like I work here, live here, you know this is this is my spot, that kind of thing and uh, I think that's it. Yeah, well before we were doing our research on you guys, I was told to get you just talking about Long Island because there's <laughs> the fact that you 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 know you like and enjoy New York City but you just adore Long Island is, and what, what, what that, is it about true. Long Island? It's everything. It's, it's the beaches. It's the pizza. It's the mean people. It's the trails that they have out there. You know, they're all covered in pine needles. It's so good. Like, it's, it's the best. And, uh, you know, just like the, the team I grew up running with in high school, like, great group of guys. Like, I don't know. I just have always felt, like, pretty, pretty solid while I'm out there. So, so Jenny and, and Lauren, I guess, uh, when did New York start to feel like home for you? 
Uh, so I moved here about six years ago. I would say probably two to three years ago um, when I transitioned to maybe a more adult style of living. Um, and so was able to see the city from a lot of uh, a new perspectives than just kind of working and, and going out late at night um, and getting more into running and meeting a lot of new people. So I'd say over the last few years, definitely more so than when I moved in um, as a, a bit younger. Yeah, I have a similar answer probably a couple years ago. For many years, I worked for the New York City Department of Education, and that sort of rooted me in the city a little bit more than um, when I initially came about 12 years ago. But I, I mean, I just, I have to add the disclaimer. You know, I'm from New England, and I'm a New England sports fan. There's a disclaimer there that I'm a New Englander <laughs> and um, a sports fan for all the Boston teams and whatnot. So it's kind of, there's a caveat, I should Patriots say. always. Yeah, yeah. So there's some, yeah, we agree on that. Yeah. Leanne, too, I know. So <laughs> you're right in the middle. Yikes. <laughs> Um, you guys kind of like hinted at it, but your day to day, what does it look like from start to finish? I guess we'll, I want to start with Jenny because it starts, you might have the earliest start of all of us. Yeah, so fun fact, <laughs> Chris agreed that he would say in front of an entire live no. audience that he will join me on a 5 a.m. run. No, I, I don't get up before like 9 a.m., I think. <laughs> uh, so I generally wake up around 4.45 or 5 um, I run with this incredible group um, called The Morning Crew. It's a part of Central Park. Uh, we meet uh, generally around 5.45 in the park for our workouts on Tuesday, Thursday. Still dark out, right? Still dark. Um, recently still get home before the, the sun is up. Um, so that's actually kind of nice because I, I don't have to be at work right away unlike a lot of the guys I train with. So I use the boots. Um, I listen to podcasts. Sometimes I take a nap. Uh, which I really don't actually recommend because you get quite disoriented when you wake up from that. Um, but then I go to work, generally go to bed around 9 p.m. if we're being honest, probably like 8.30 p.m. Wow. Um, what do you do about TV shows? Like the best ones and later than that. <laughs> I, we don't even have live cable. Everything is, is on Hulu. This is the difference between the yeah, two Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, I'm the only one on this stage who is not qualified for the trials, and it's very clear why. I, <laughs> I watch TV while I'm getting ready. It's, it's multitasking. <laughs> and what is your job? I work at Glossier, a beauty company. So what does it entail? Like, uh, when, you, like when you go into the office, what are you doing? Uh, so I work on marketing strategy broadly. So um, it can be a lot of different things. Today we are talking about our retail strategy, which actually we will have a store in Atlanta during the trials, oh, which wow. is very exciting. Very strange coincidence. <laughs> Um, to product merchandising, uh, just thinking about product business trends. Um, so it's very analytical, very numbers driven. We should get pre and post makeovers <laughs> before and after the Try, race. Trying to get some samples out there for the trial. Lauren? Uh, very similar type of routine, maybe a little bit later of a start in the morning. I usually, I mean, I always hit Prospect Park. Um, weekdays, weekends, probably between, you know, 6.30 and, and 7.15 or so. And get going on those loops, different variations, waving to the same people. It's wonderful. It's great. Um, I love the, the routine of it and get a lot of work done there um, from a running standpoint and then head off to work um, and work a full day and I'm probably in bed around 10 or so. Um, I aspire to, to go to bed as early as possible. <laughs> so this is, this is good, Jenny. I highly recommend it. Yeah, that. it's great. Sam Anderson, actually, like in one of the previous episodes that we did, was, was talking about how 
nowadays, like I guess since you're probably one of those early morning risers in Prospect Park, like there's very few people who will be there when it's like super cold. Do you also feel like that unspoken bond with the people that you encounter on those oh, yes. trails? Like we have, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's like, I mean, there are people in this room who would I think agree with the same type of routine, and it's a community of. Uh, of experience, and I have like full relationships with people I pass who I've never even talked to because we <laughs> experience so much day in and day out. And then when you do end up talking to them as you like cross paths at, and share a, a water break, um, it's like you know you already have this common bond. It's really interesting, and that is like it's, I, it's unique to the fact that you see the same people 88 times in a day around Prospect Park because it's so small. <laughs> That's true, Brendan. Well, my, my life changed recently when I moved much closer to my, where I work. I lived on Long Island while I qualified for the trials, actually. So maybe I'll talk about that first. Um, I, took the, I took the railroad, you know, 65 minutes each way. I work, my office is right near Penn Station. So uh, if I had an early day, I was up at Jenny time at 4.45 a.m. <laughs> and then I'd stagger to the train get on the train and just like try so hard to fall back asleep. I never, I usually didn't. Then I would work. I work as a physical therapist, as I mentioned. And, you know, I was done approximately 3 p.m. on those early days. And then I'd either run in the city and then go home or I would go home, lay on the couch feeling far, sorry for myself and do like a sunset run. And so that was, you know, one mode. And then the other is I work late. So I wake up. I run around, you know, the more hilly, uh, wide roads of, you know, Suffolk County, and then I'd bring breakfast on the train with me, which is like a gross thing to do on the subway, but people <laughs> on Long Island Railroad do it, so I did that, and then I would work until 8.15, get on the train, and go home, and get home, you know, pretty late, and then I'd unwind for about an hour or so, and then go to sleep and do whatever the next day was. But recently, I did move to the city. I don't know if I'm talking too long, but uh, now now it's a little bit different. I have a much shorter commute. I either ride a city bike or a subway, and that's much faster, inexpensive, and <laughs> the such. And I don't I don't wake up at five ever anymore, which is nice. Yeah. It's it's like very strongly preferred. <laughs> what made you want to start coaching people? So I I actually started uh, coaching people. Not like by accident, I think that's like an annoying thing to say. <laughs> but, um, you know, I was working as a front desk person at another PT office, you know, while I was getting hours so that I could go to school. And uh, this is with uh, former Hansons runner Clint Barron. He, he qualified for the Olympic trials maybe four times, maybe almost made a fifth, just fell short, just short. But um, I worked for him. I, it was He was the PT, I was the front desk guy. And, uh, you know, I was the kind of Swiss Army knife. I would help with the exercises, the scheduling, the billing, all that sort of stuff. And so, you know, I built a relationship with the patient as well because I was having them do their side-to-side -side monster walks, you know, and then I'd schedule their next appointment and such. And, and people would like the guidance they got from Clint, and then he would ask my opinion on, you know, return to running plans. And so you had these folks who were injured and they were getting back out there. And they'd be ready to be done with PT. And then they were like, whoa, what do I do? Like, should I keep coming back so you can tell me what to do? And Clint, you know, is very, very sharp wit. He would just be like, Brendan's going to coach you. And they were like, oh, okay, how much does it cost? And he was like, $75 a month. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, that's what I do. And so suddenly I had like five people that I was coaching. And 
I was working a desk job where if I was up to date on everything, I would just go into their spreadsheet and just like obsessively pour over everything they were doing. And I was like, this is fun. This is like <laughs> the Sims with running. It was amazing. And so I tried really hard. And then you have enough people telling other people that hey, this guy tries really hard. And, you know, suddenly you're coaching 25 people, but still trying just as hard because you still enjoy it a lot. And so I feel like that's the medium long answer to why. Um, what's the coaching setup for uh, the two of you, uh, Jenny and, and Lauren? Uh, so I am self-coached. Um, I like to say that the morning crew is kind of my coach. Uh, they have so much knowledge of the sport and um, love it that I am texting them all the time for advice. Um, I've really liked it. I've always been very afraid of mileage. And actually, by the increased mileage over the last year being kind of my choice, I found I'm less scared of it because I don't have to do anything and I can back off if needed. Um, so yeah, it's been fun. Um, I'm definitely lucky to have them or I would have no idea what I was doing. Not that I still have that much of an idea, but they're great. I have no restraint with mileage. <laughs> I, need, I need to be held back. <laughs> Lauren? I, uh, for the past three years, have worked with Mario Fraioli as my coach, um, which has worked out really well for me. I think that um, in, in the way that I measure that is that, I, you know, I have been running for many years, um, relatively speaking, and I'm still finding gains um, sort of in my late 30s. And um, it's been a relationship that's worked out really well. I respond well to the training. Um, we make, you know, adjustments. He's in California, but um, does, you know, does, builds customized plans remotely and, and sends them over is really communicative. And so it's, it's been really good. Um, what's also really helpful is that I have a number of other New York-based women, actually, um, several of which who have qualified for the trials as well, who work with Mario. So we were able to sort of align and have a little bit of a community of, of folks who are on the same page in their training. So yeah, I feel really fortunate. A lot of people know of Mario as, you know, Mario the writer, Mario the podcaster. What is Mario the coach's, like, philosophy boil down to when he works with you? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's so customized. One of the things that I appreciate is that, I mean, it's very responsive to my feedback of how I'm, uh, you know, absorbing training and stress. He never gets too far away from speed and so, like, really respects the, you know, uh, the fact that, you know, even for marathon training, like, you know, keeping the legs turning over is an important factor, and that's absolutely helped me, I think, in these races. So, um, yeah, I mean, he he builds from, or he, uh, you know, draws from a lot of, like, really key influences, but does have his own approach, and it's very much driven by the athlete, but, um, but you know, yeah, um, pretty s straightforward, you know, workouts and whatnot, but... Brendan, I ran with Mia Bame this morning, and she said that you have this interesting training philosophy that might have something like a nine-day training week. And I guess that was really interesting because I think we all kind of have this idea of like a seven-day, that's the week, we go to work five days a week. Do you think that runners, they're the running community in general, could benefit from like kind of pushing the boundaries and saying, you know, it doesn't have to be a certain type and kind of a less traditional, more tailored approach. The earth is round. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I, at least for myself, I feel like squeezing two workouts and a good long run into seven days is too much. I, I got hurt a lot doing that, and I didn't get a hurt, hurt a lot do not doing that. And so that's something that my coach, uh, I have my own coach because I need to be held accountable. Uh, Corey Kabatsky, 
he was an assistant coach at Hanson's, and that's actually a Hanson's ism, you know, the Hanson's Distance Project in Michigan. Um, so he coached with them for a while, and that's something that he and I both felt strongly about, and so he's kind of kept that because I'm lucky enough to have, I now have a consistent, not alternating schedule. So now it's especially easy for me to run a long run on Wednesday. You know, it's no different than running on Sunday where folks who work like these grueling 13 and a half hour days in finance, like maybe they can't run a long run on Wednesday, but you know, I'm working all evenings now. And so I can, I can, uh, you know, mosey into the office at noon and it's like yeah I got to sleep in and do a long run and eat breakfast <laughs> and so it's fine I'm done running for the day I work you know I work pretty late but I'm already like my like my first job or you know second job whatever one you want to call it is already done for the day so that's kind of a nice way of being able to do this nine day cycle but to go more like training on it uh, I just think that it affords you two days going into and two days going out of every single like quality effort where you can adjust, you know, you have a little more flex on the days going in, the days coming out, where you can kind of feel out like, oh my gosh, my last workout murdered me, I'm going to jog these next two days and then I'll be ready for that third day. Or, I feel pretty good, that workout was soft, I'm gonna run like steady-ish, you know, for those next two days, get a, get a, like a, a secondary run in both of those days, feel ready to go for that day. And then if that one happens to kill you, then you can tail it back but usually within two days at least at where I'm at right now in two days I can bring myself back from the dead for the next quality effort if I overdid it the one before it where if you have one easy day that's oftentimes not enough sometimes you don't even feel bad until two days after a workout and then you're working out again because you need to squeeze a second workout into the week I just I personally don't respond well to that Brendan, I'm going to blame you for next week when I have my 4 a.m. wake up for the midweek long run because this is the current topic of conversation with the morning crew, and now they're going to listen and, and move to a nine-day cycle. So thank you for that. You're, you're welcome. Let's take a quick break now to talk about Fix NYC. Head on over and pay a visit to our friends in Chelsea at 206 West 23rd Street. It's just what your body might need after all those miles that you're putting in this winter. Fix's space offers a customized recovery and wellness experience like no other. Uh, if you're really into treating yourself to a good day's recovery, I highly recommend that you go for the Ultimate Fix Package. It dabbles in all of their best offerings. First, you sit in Normatec compression boots. Then you'll get three minutes, which feels like a long time, in their full-body electric cryo. You'll split some time in the light therapy bed for about 10 minutes, where you can learn all about the benefits of photobiomodulation, which is used to treat injuries, reduce pain, and just relaxes the entire body. And then you also get to partake in a little guided meditation while laying on the zero body flotation that gives you the feeling that you're floating on water, but you're totally dry. Take a few minutes in the sauna and then call it a day. It's just what your body and your mind might need. All together, fix his services, work wonders, and help you achieve that hard sought after PR. Not to brag, but totally to brag. I set PRs at every distance last year, and I'm going to do everything I can to do it again. Fix is right there for me. Make Fix your space to relax, recover, and unwind. And as a listener of this podcast, you're lucky because you can go and get one free modality on for free on your first visit, whether it's just boots or cryo. Pay them a visit. And when you book a session online, you can use promo code Runners of NYC. You can also use it in person to get 20% off all of their services, packages, and membership for the first month. 
It's their best deal. You can find all of this information in the show notes. Now, let's get back to the show. Um, for the next part, I guess I want to do something really cool, and I want you guys to put the listeners and the audience here in your shoes for the race that you guys qualified for the trials in. But for Brendan, I guess I want to do it a little bit differently before we get to Jenny and Lauren. I want to go through your last, uh, the last trials, because you competed there. It was a really hot day in Los Angeles. A lot of people melted, pretty much, in those conditions. You seem to have thrived, and you've got this reputation, I think, at this point, of doing well in races where the conditions are just awful. How did you, I guess, develop that skill? <laughs> are you sure they don't want to go first? I've been talking a lot. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, well, I, I train in everything. So I, don't, I don't like to run inside, so I train in everything, so that helps. But uh, I just had this idea in my head the whole time where it was going to be, like, hot as, you know, fill in the blank word, hot as Hades, you know, not a bad word. Um, and I just had that idea in my head, and so I was just wearing, like, garbage bag for the last month going into it because I'm like, it's going to be hot. I'm going to be ready for this. I'm training in New York. And I got this this chip on my shoulder. I was thinking about all these people, like, with their feet up in a rental condo in Arizona. And I was like, <laughs> hate those guys. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to come for you. Like, I had that in my head as I'm running through the snow with, like, a garbage bag on. It's just, like, sweating profusely. Like, I would take the thing off and, like, steam would come out. You know what I mean? And it was like, I'm going to be ready for this. So I think that's one thing that worked. And then another was I just knew, like, you, you can't. You know, like, they play Lose Yourself by Eminem on the starting line, and it's just a 26-mile race. You can't be pumped. Like, I'm, like, I'm like trying to, like, channel, like, self. Like, my heart rate's, like, 32, like, on the start line, and it's, like, they're playing the Olympic music, and everybody's doing strides, like, as fast as they can. I'm, like, this seems like such a bad idea. And I'm, like, sitting in the shade with, like, a wet rag on my head, like, trying to breathe slow because I'm trying to keep my core temperature down. And, you know, Galen Rupp was doing strides, too, and that, you know. I was like, maybe I should do strides. And then I didn't. And so then I was running, and I just was, like, content to just feel as easy as I could for as long as I can. It's no more complicated than that. And actually, one of my former Hanson's teammates and, you know, Ivy competitor, Ethan Shaw, um, he, he and I lived together at Hanson's. And, you know, it was, you know, past that time. But me and him found each other really early in the race. And, like, after one lap, it, it, basically the way they do it is they do these short lap first and then they do like six mile loops to kind of simulate the criterion type race that the olympics is going to be you know like it's not like new york where you just run a different step the whole way like i think it was one little guy and then like four by six mile loop or something like that and after that little guy ethan and i look back and there's like a nerd in a vest on a bike right behind me and i was like we're in last <laughs> and 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 like it was easy to know what place you were in because we were in last and the guy Chris Barnacle who ran in a t-shirt you know right. that whole thing and he was actually right like right behind us <laughs> and we're like all right cool and so we came through the short lap like that and we're like it's okay we're not running that slow it's very polluted we're in direct sunlight we can't breathe I can't imagine the people running 510 pace can breathe and we honestly just stayed like on 520-something pace, like, the whole way. And we didn't speed up, and we were like, oh, let's let's speed up a little at the end. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Okay, cool. At 20 miles, we're going to rip it, man. Okay, cool. And then we, we, like, got to 20, and, like, each mile after 16, it was like somebody would call out our place, and we're like, hey, we moved up 10 places, and we didn't even see anybody. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> They're just, like, keeling over. And so, so then we get to, like, you know, tw- like, 
let's say like 18 miles and it's like, oh, you're in 40th. I'm like, that'd be pretty good. I'm, I'm like content with that. Just finish the race. And then we just kept running the same speed. We get to 20, we're like, let's definitely not speed up. <laughs> this is really hard. And, um, you know, we get to 23 and it's like, now we're in like 30th. And we're like, holy crap, this is the best race of our life. We just have to finish. And, uh, and like, you know, we're drinking every single bottle that's on the course. Um, the race management was not NYRR uh, quality. I'm not just saying that because we're here. I actually mean that they were the only ones who put like a neutral water stop on the whole course. It was not, no offense to anybody except for the people whose idea that was, but there was no neutral water. It was your bottle or New York Roadrunners like had just set up this impromptu station for water. And so you really had to drink every single thing you could because it was, it was hot and there was no shade. And at one point you're running through USC's campus and it smells like like burning fertilizer because you run past their farm sector. It was horrible. It was like, uh, as much like running is like a pretty, like not that like, it's not warfare at all. Like people make it that, but it's not. But this was actually like, oh my gosh, this is survival mode. And you know, then it gets to 20, the mile 25 and we're still together and we're like, should we speed up? And we're like, no, let's not speed up. We just have to finish. And I ended up, you know, I didn't even notice. I, I was waiting for him to drop me the whole time. And then suddenly he was actually gone, but we ended up going 20 and 21, just never making a move except for surviving. So that's crazy. I hope that covers it. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Thanks. Smartest race you've ever run, you think? Uh, up there. Uh, the first marathon I ever ran was one of the smartest ones, but that was also really hot. It was actually hotter. Wow. But I also equally didn't speed up at all and just noticed more and more bottles on the elite table every single time I went by. And I was like, I'm moving up. I don't even see anybody. <laughs> and yeah, so, so both hot ones were pretty smart ones because those ones require more, you know, being yeah. smart. So I'd say those are probably the top two. Let's hope Atlanta is not like that. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Jenny, you had you were probably sweating for different reasons. It was a close call, right? Very close. Um, I think 26 seconds by the, the gun clock. Um, so I guess, like, take us through it. Because I think for Leanne and I, we were, we were on a beach in the Cayman Islands tracking everyone. And, Subtle, Chris. <laughs> yeah, and we were seeing just, like, this huge pack of people that we knew were going for the Olympic trials qualifiers. And slowly but surely that number started to diminish just as the miles were ticking off and you were just one of those people who held on the entire time i mean what was it like watching that happen it was i have to give so much kudos to the pacers um it was incredible because i probably should have been more stressed out by how close the pace was but they were so on top of it like at mile 22 a guy basically comes by and he's like I'm running 245.00 if you are behind me you are too slow and I was like oh wow. words I can't say um so then another guy was like I'm gonna run 245.45 244.45 like that's where I'll be and I was like well I want to be ahead of him so I just made sure kind of the last four miles to be in front of them but it was it's still just the most surreal experience I mean at the start line I remember being so super stressed out because it's based on gun time, not chip time. And I wasn't, I was in seated, but not in elite. And I was so convinced that I was going to miss it by like four seconds. And it was all going to be because of that start. So I probably spent way too much time that week thinking about how I could squeeze my way into the front. Um, and I did, I was front in line in the seated. No one else seemed at all stressed about it. Um, then we took off and I realized quickly why maybe you didn't want to be in the front uh, because it was just so insanely crowded. I mean, we were stepping on each other. I'd say the first 
six to eight miles was just like the most crowded track race you've ever been in. Um, and then I didn't realize it at the time, but I guess the three pacers split up. So all of a sudden we got through half and it was maybe down to like 30 people. And I don't know how that happened, but it happened really quickly, I guess, because two of them um, held back a little. And I found 12 to probably 15 to 16 to be really hard. Um, at that point, it's six, 15 pace is never going to feel easy, even from the start, which was a, a weird thing to get used to. My previous best time was... Um, a 259, which was still incredibly hard, but it's just that pace is such a different feeling, um, and it's it's uncomfortable from the start. And I'd say that's when I really started to freak out a little. Um, I tend to do that, and so I actually fell behind the pacers at around 15 to 16, and I remember seeing them slip away. And I don't. This is not normally my mentality. Normally, I'd be like oh, like, well, see, you failed, like, you failed again, you don't belong here. Um, and I was just like, I worked too hard for this. Like, I know I can do it. I know I can be up there. So I put on a surge and I caught back up to them. Um, and then I saw my fiance, Miles, at around mile 20, and he gave me this, like, amazing 30-second speech about superglue and how to just, like, stick to them like superglue. Um, <laughs> repeated it over and over. And so that's what I just, I kept repeating superglue for, like, two miles. <laughs> Uh, and then I'd say with like two to go, I knew I had it. And those last two miles were the most amazing feeling. Um, I just kind of like soaked it in. If, if any of the pictures or videos, the last mile, like my face was just, you would, you would think I was like Shalane winning um, <laughs> New York City. But I was just, I was so grateful and uh, just so overcome with like gratitude and thinking about all the people who um, had supported me and gotten me there and just like, how insane the past year was and how much I had fallen in love with the sport over the past year. So very emotional. So I have, I have something to say about all of this as well. So I had the opportunity to fly out to Sacramento and cheer at CIM. Um, I actually drove around the course with Mario and we hit probably three or four spots along this point-to-point -point course. And so that in and of itself is a little stressful as you navigate these back roads. But we were able to see you, Jenny, three times. 10K, it's, it actually, I mean, you know, for what it's worth, CIM with its reputation of being, you know, a net downhill and whatnot, like, does roll, right? So you do have, like, some elevation. And um, I remember standing at 10K, and you actually were coming up a hill, I think, and then you're going down a hill. And the freight train of OTQ, you know, hopefuls for both men and women was extraordinary. It was a really quiet morning so you don't have like a lot of deep crowds like early in the race especially and you just hear the slap 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 vapor fly slap across you know the horizon and it's a and it's it was just really idyllic and everyone looked great and then fast forward 20k that pack broke up and I started to text I can I haven't shared this with you but I started to beam back to New York Jenny's putting on a clinic. Like, Jenny, look, she's putting on a clinic. Like, she's got this. She's locked. You were tucked in. You look great. And then at 20, I saw you again. Same thing. No problem. And that's really remarkable because you weren't in huge company at that point. And it was really, really fun to watch because you go there with a goal, and there's this whole, like, OTQ thing, like, it has a life of its own, right? 
and it's bigger than life and whatnot. And there's a lot of symbolism, a lot of emotion around it as more and more people qualify, particularly on the women's side. So you want women to be successful and to see someone familiar like yourself from New York just totally nail it was awesome. It was like a total highlight of the morning. I got really excited when I saw you, so thank you. I mean, what I remember about CIM and then what you've described is that there's just so many women that all want to see each other succeed. And I remember seeing some of the finish line photos of you guys would all wait and kind of see the finishers coming and you ran right into the arms of a stranger. What was it like finishing and then being with all of the women who had also achieved this goal? Yeah, that was my favorite part. And even during the race, um, people were sharing water bottles. So anytime someone with a water bottle would get one, they would shout like, Morton, Gatorade. Um, I actually, my, I think, most athletic feat to date was Jordan tossed me a Gatorade midair and I caught it <laughs> around mile six. And I was I'm really proud of myself then. Um, but yeah, I just remember the last 400 meters running straight through the finish line with this girl just with her arms open. And, and we were sobbing and we were crying. Um, but it's a very a very interesting mix of emotions, as, as Lauren was mentioning, because you have all these women who are so excited and crying and screaming and um, counting down till 2.45.00, and then all of a sudden it's a, it's a blur because in the next minute so many women are crying, but, but you don't know why. And the fact that all of these women have just run extraordinary times, like huge PRs, and that kind of arbitrary barrier separates such strong emotions was um, a really kind of mixed feeling to be there. Uh, but definitely just incredible to see how much people were there for each other, whether you just made it or just missed it. Um, and the fact that people did kind of wait around and hug and, and share that experience was awesome. Lauren, I think before Chicago 2018, you had run 246, right? Yeah, something. So was reasons. that the first sig sign for you that it's like, okay. Yeah, it's I think possible. my first like reaction to the 246 was like, oh crap, like, you know, <laughs> now here we go again. Or actually, at that point in time, it wasn't my goal to qualify, um, but it was sort of the glimmer that I needed to like put it on the calendar. And at that point, you know, when I ran Chicago in 2018 and ultimately did qualify, it was my fifth Chicago in, the, in a row. Um, so I knew I would have to go back. Um, yeah, so that was a, uh, you know, the goal that day was to qualify, you know, above all else, you want to PR. Um, I'm a, I, I love a good rhythm course, and so Chicago's always treated me well. I love it. I think it's great energy, and um, I've run some nice PRs there, so I thought that would be the place that I'd like to go and try to make the attempt. Um, it was a really positive race overall, sort of anticlimactic. There was no pack. It was, like, totally on my own um, the entire day, way. Right? It was raining, right? Uh it was a little misty, yeah. I think generally it was like, it, it was a good weather, draw. you know, we drew a good card from a weather standpoint. Um, I think what was remarkable about it to me was sort of how unremarkable it was. I felt totally in control the whole time. I felt like I could make choices, um, you know, up until the last, like, you know, three miles. And um, I think that was like, you know, I mean, it couldn't have played out better in a way um, because one of the goals, you know, in, in that type of race with, you know, that length of a marathon, like one of, one of the things I always want to feel is in control if I can. So I'm making active choices around pacing and whatnot, like in the later stages. Um, one of the things that, like, I remember sort of telling myself, like, in the race is just to get really excited for the last 10K. Like, make, you know, and to 
anticipate that as an experience in and of itself. Um, and I always like borrow one of the like best tricks that I learned from my friend and teammate Angela Ortiz, who says, you know, always make, always intend to make the last mile of the marathon your fastest mile. As irrational as that may sound in the moment, like just decide that in advance. So when the time comes, why not execute? And so that's what I did in this race and like hit one mile to go and very in a cliche manner, like did a fist pump and like, you know, you know, knew that it was sort of in the bag and um, it was great. Yeah. So I ran like 242 and um, had a lot of people there and it was a, it was a great experience uh, overall. So, yeah. So hitting the OTQ seems to be just kind of like this big pressure reliever for a lot of people like for, Getting to the trials is the big checkbox that people have to hit sometimes. So how do you guys approach goal setting for the actual trials afterwards? Like now that the, the qualifier is done, what is it that you want to accomplish like in Atlanta? Uh, to your story, I'd say I would love to not be last. Um, I, it's hard, right? Because I mean, the 244 was such a huge PR for me. I can't expect to replicate that however many, eight, 10 weeks later on a hard course. Um, my goal, I think, is to figure out what my standing is going in and try to beat that. Uh, I actually tend to like heat and hills um, somewhat more often than flat and cold, so I'm hoping to somewhat use that to my advantage. Um, and then, of course, just to run like a controlled race. I want to uh, make sure that I am enjoying as much as you can the second half um, but from like a hard numbers goal I, I think it would be um, the the former to try and beat whatever the standing is last time I was really just you know the whole time is this on yeah, yeah. the last time I was I was just really looking forward to going and competing like that's you know it's pretty simple uh, straightforward way of thinking about it but I knew about where I would be seated and then I knew exactly what I was seated and I was like, I think I could do pretty good here. Like, I, I set in my head, um, I think, you know, like, if I look back uh, 30 years from now, and I'm like, in my head, I was like, if I get 30th or better, that would be just so awesome. Like, that sounds pretty cool. Like, I know, I know I'm know, i most likely not making the Olympics, but, like, I want to show up and, and battle the whole way. And so that's, that's just what I focused on. Maybe, like, had that 30 in my head, but mostly just wanted to show up and battle the whole way through to the finish. And then I was able to exceed that which was surprising, but I really set like 30 as like a, a big win in my head because I thought that would be like showing up on game day and performing. And that's kind of the whole, the whole reason I set out to qualify actually, rather than making the goal to get there, I really wanted to get there so that I could go and compete. And, and so this time I actually, I, I felt similarly, but obviously with a little setback now, me showing up and battling will be different in some capacity. I suspect but same same idea right like what what can I do to maximize that day for me and just be like yeah given my circumstances this was like a big win like I showed up on this day and got everything I could out of myself kind of thing no matter what that might be yeah I mean I feel very similarly I think that one of the things that's been in my head as a, a way to frame the goal is to you know place higher than I'm seated um and I think this race will be markedly different than the ones leading up to it um, where we're trying to qualify or, you know, we're running a 5K or a 10K in the park where you're sort of a slave to your watch and you're very calculated, you know how you're supposed to feel in this part of the course and whatnot. And, you know, you sort of judge the day based on the time. 
Um, so similar to like a cross country race or a trail race or whatnot, I think that this is much less for me about that. And I look forward to it because I love to not have to worry so much about time and more so like tap into whatever it means on the day to compete. Um, I think that other markers of a good day would be like, you know, like pick people off in the second half and, and be really smart and calculated about how to like, you know, run this particular course, whatever the weather may bring, it's going to be really hilly. Um, so to feel strong in the second half is always a happier way to go. And, you know, why not be like really happy in this type of stage? It's going to be like a wild experience as like a huge like raging fan of the sport, like I have to like control that and like you know all the rest. But um, it'll, it, you know, I'm looking forward to you know taking it in. Yeah, I almost want to get lapped so I can see who's winning. <laughs> Going to be very anxious about that. Yeah, there are a couple of hairpin turns, and I'll like I'll wave to you guys when you pass me. <laughs> I think what's been one of the most exciting parts is how many people from New York, especially women, are actually going and actually qualified and. Lauren, I know you helped start Distance Project, which is a club, and you guys now have, what we said, seven, yeah, seven Olympic trials qualifying women. So like, what made you want to help start this club, and then how do you think that's going to feel to be on that start line with your teammates? Yeah, I mean, I think it, like, you know, in very simple terms, like, I think the catalyst for the the club was the idea that, you know, there have been a number of women who for many years have met and, um, and uh, built a relationship on the start lines of New York City races for, for while we're members of other teams for some time. And then we sort of, a couple of us had, you know, this idea of joining forces. And um, that is sort of fueled by the fact that, like, in this OTQ context, like, my success does not take away from anyone else's on the team. Like, it's an equal opportunity thing to go to the trials and compete, so why not band together and support one another? I forget the second half of the question. Uh, how, how do you think it's going to feel on the start <laughs> oh, line yes. with those I think it's going to be terrific. I mean, like, just because that experience of, like, you know, building the team, spending more time together, training together alone is going to make it a richer experience to have, you know, this, this weekend together, no doubt, like, you know, that is motivating in and of itself to give it your all, to work together. There's, like, science behind that. There are emotions behind that. But even bigger than Distance Project NYC, like, all of the familiar faces from the New York scene and other folks who have left New York um, that have qualified, I, th I think that whole constellation of women is going to be really meaningful. So I, it's, it's, it's almost bigger than just this one team. It's, it's everyone else, you know, on, you know, sitting here, too. Brandon, I mean, you coach a bunch of the women who have also qualified. I mean, what, what are you hoping? You're going to be in the, in the race at the same time. But what are you hoping to, to see out of, like, the athletes that you coach? I, I hope they run smart. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I'd like to see. You know, same same thing as has been said uh, that has been said over the past couple minutes is just, you know, kind of seeing where the final seeds come out, seeing what would be a positive day, and then figuring out a way to make sure that they place where they deserve to based on all the work and the fitness that they've put in, and you know where where their natural talent lies, and like what what would be a win for them, right? Like you can't take somebody who is you know seated 20 minutes behind 
the third place person and be like, yeah, like, all right, so to make the team, like, you're setting them up for failure by doing that. No, you know, I mean, it's a little, it's a little negative sounding, but I think you want to set the person up to succeed on a win for them, you know? And so I'd like to just see everybody stick to their plan and run to their fitness level. And uh, is that your question? Yeah. Yeah. You know, basically just hammering home, like, here's the course, here's what to expect. And, you know, Stay, stay the course when, when it gets tough and, you know, lean on that training. Kind of along those same lines, Jenny, you mentioned it before, and I think you've been a little bit open about it, is that you have race anxiety and that a moment in CIM you had this, like, negative talk, but you were able to get out of it. And I think it's something everybody can relate to of, like, those moments of doubt and how did you get through it and how do you continue to show up and be confident? Yeah, it's it's taken a long time. To me, it's been really about embracing the New York City running community, as kind of cliche as that sounds. I think having people believe in you and then also being able to kind of like believe in others is, is huge. Um, I think I, it used to feel more lonely and that my kind of like self-worth depended on it. I mean, I spent five years trying to break my 312 PR um, and trying to break three. And every time that I would see that slipping away, I would just kind of like fall apart and think like, I'm not worth it. It's not worth um, the sacrifice. But I remember actually in CIM, um, when I started to really freak out, I remember thinking like, people really believe I can do this. They've put in the miles with me. Like they believe in me. There's no reason that like I shouldn't trust that and kind of like get out of my own thoughts and listen to others. And that's what I've really tried to do in practice is um, just kind of like not listen to my head and just follow. I mean, like going into 2019, I had no business trying to do my workouts training at 6.15 at marathon pace, right? Like my marathon pace was 6.50. There was, I had no right to do that, but I just kind of tried to not think and follow others. And by doing that, it kind of, it just became more about the sport and competing and less about what my own restrictions were and the kind of like value that I saw in it. Uh, we're going to open up the floor to a couple questions, but before we do that, I guess, Brendan, I guess I've got one question, and this is mainly, I guess, for you to impart, I guess, maybe a little bit of wisdom of sorts or just to kind of, like, get an understanding of how important it is to soak in the moment of being at the trials for, you know, for Lauren, Jenny, and, like, Leanne being their first time there. Um, granted, I guess, because... I mean, the men's standard was 219, I think, at the last, or two, it, it changed. It was 218 all the way until, like, a month before it. And then, like, yeah, so it yeah, got a little it tougher. Yeah, 219. Yeah. And for the women, like, right now, it's 245, but it could get tougher in four years. So maybe, you know, of course, like, I feel like women are going to rise to that challenge, and they're sure. going to get faster. But I guess to soak in the moment, like, how important is that? And, like, what would you share about, like, this first experience for them? Yeah, it's tricky because if you put it on a pedestal as the most important race of your life, you're you're going to give yourself race anxiety. So you don't want to do too much of that, but at the same time you just want to you want to approach it the same way as if you made the Olympics. Like if you if you snuck in and got top 3 and we're going to the Olympics, like it's the same way you would view that. Like if I made the Olympics uh, at the end of February, I'd be like I'm probably not going to medal, so it's awesome that I made the Olympics. I'm going to enjoy being here, and I'm going to give it hell. I'm going to do my best while I'm here. So for me, before ever having qualified, I make I make it. I qualify, you know, make the 
you know, take it down one notch, uh, instead of an Olympic medal, you're going for a qual like an Olympic qualification. And I'm like, I'm probably not going to get that, but I'm going to give it hell and do the best I can because this is my version of the Olympics. And so I prepared for it in the way that I would prepare for the Olympics, right? Like right now, like if you're a little banged up, you know, one month before a marathon, you might think about not doing it, but if it's the Olympics, you obviously do it and do the best you can. So that's kind of the way I would frame it in your head. Uh, you just you just take the cards you're dealt and you do the best you can because this is your Olympics and you want to show up as a competitor at the Olympics. You don't want to go home from the Olympics being like, ah, I gave up or I was so excited that I imploded. You want to be like, yeah, I, I went and did the best I possibly could have on that day. And so you want to appreciate being there amongst like the greatest runners in the country. Some of them are the greatest runners in the world and you want to appreciate that, but you belong there, you qualified there to go there and you want to act like you belong there and compete against them and try and beat them because this is most likely your Olympics. If you're excited to be there to have qualified, this is your Olympics. You know what I mean? And that's how I viewed it. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you guys so much for taking the time to sit down with us. We're wishing you all the best of luck in these last couple of weeks and I'm sure you guys are going to make New York City proud. Thank you. Thank you so much. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Many thanks to Brendan, Jenny, and Lauren for sitting down with us at the Run Center. Thanks to New York Roadrunners for giving us the platform to tell all of these stories with you. Remember, you can support the show and the sponsors that help keep this show alive by heading on over to Fix NYC. As a listener of the show, you get one free modality when you walk through their doors, and don't let that go to waste. The info for them is in the show notes. One last reminder is that you can also support us on Patreon. What is Patreon? It's a crowdfunding platform that allows listeners like you to support our work with monthly contributions in exchange for this content. This year, we want to make more podcasts, more guests, and in order to make that uh, happen, we're simply asking for you guys to set up a couple, do a couple dollars that will go to your coffee or uh, slice of pizza. Instead, support our work. The New York City running community is awesome, and we'd appreciate the assistance. That's www.patreon.com slash runnersofnyc. Leanne and I also love it every single time that you guys post us on your Instagram stories and tell us that you're listening to the show. Continue to do that, and we will repost it to our profile. And consider leaving a nice little review on our Apple Podcast page. You can do it while listening on your iPhone. The reviews allow for new people to discover the show. And if you're interested in sponsoring the show or have any suggestions for guests, reach out to me, chris at sidiousmag.com. That does it for this episode. I am your host, Chris Chavez, and on behalf of my co-host, Leanne Sherrick, we will see you guys again very soon.